Hello and welcome to Where's the Exit, the podcast for tech SMEs looking to leverage their IP to maximise their exit valuation. I'm your host, Steve Blake, and today I'm joined by Will Chelton. Welcome to the show, Will. Steve, thanks for having me. Great. And today we're going to be talking about IP Management 101. So for tech SMEs out there who find this confusing, don't really understand where to start, where should they start and what should they do? Um, But first, uh, for listeners that don't know you already, uh, maybe you could start with a bit about your background in IP, uh, where you're coming from uh, and what you're doing now. Absolutely. So I am a patent attorney like you, Steve, uh, mm-hmm. European patent attorney and a UK patent attorney. Um, and I guess the way I distinguish uh, what I do from what the more traditional patent attorney does is that I started my career, so first five years in private practice, but for the last yeah. 10 or so years, I've been inside patent teams, inside tech companies, right? And yeah. actually the trajectory of my career started out in a in-house career started out in a huge 130 plus thousand uh, employee global company where the patent yeah. department was bigger than some companies some sme <laughs> companies um through uh, kind of a, a smaller public tech company yeah. and, and then recently in a in a company that had 30 people when i joined uh, and 300 people by the time that i left uh, so i would say that i've been inside companies um the sort of world-leading IP companies, yeah. and I've been a part of what these companies do with their IP, right? Uh, how much they spend, what they spend it on, how they go yeah. through budgeting, um, yeah. how to build teams, what the teams spend their time on. So that's really been the last 10 or so years of my career. Uh, and then most recently, I've become available uh, consulting uh, to offer those services to smaller companies. Um, basically, the idea being that smaller companies in the UK and elsewhere, but you know, I'm based in the UK, don't have access to that sort of expertise, right? The, the yeah. big companies have that in-house. Um, they have decades uh, of combined experience in buying mm-hmm. and selling patents, licensing them in, licensing them out. Yeah. Um, but it's difficult for tech SMEs to, to have access to people with that experience. So I am yeah. now available and offering those services. And, and those businesses that you started with, you said you started like huge and then sort of got huge, but less huge. And then sort of down to something a bit smaller. That's really interesting because that's one that, as you just said, grew whilst you were there. So there'll be a lot that we can draw on there. But these are like household names, right? I mean, these are sort of big technology businesses that sort of are filing a lot of patents and, you know, are pretty experienced in the IP sector. So you've seen pretty much the whole range, right, in terms of in-house IP. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah great. Um, and as you say, you've sort of then been at a smaller business that you've seen grow. Um, I guess for the first question, what I was thinking was, if we could sort of, and you're doing it now in your consultancy practice, right, but um, if we can step outside of the, the big tech mindset, because, well, it's an interesting thought as to how much that maps on to what, a tech SME or a startup needs. I imagine that the further you get up that sort of chain to the bigger businesses, the less relevant it is. But anyway, if we snap ourselves out of the big business um, uh, idea and come down to sort of tech SMEs and tech startups at a high level, because I think a lot of people are confused by this, tech SMEs, tech startups, they don't have that person in-house, like you said, and they're kind of like, where the hell do I start? So where the hell do they start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah good question uh the interesting thing i think with with ip and you mentioned it with the scale right so yeah, the yeah. the huge companies who are filing thousands of new patent applications every year uh, and have budgets of tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars are, are operating at a certain level um but the smaller companies are, are into something different and it's interesting what i don't see in uh, IP advice is something that you would be more accustomed to in everyday life, right? So the, the analogy that I've got in my head is that in the UK, the government has uh, five a day for what you should be eating. Right, yeah, okay, right? yeah. yeah. And 10,000 steps a day is how much exercise you should be yeah. doing. Yeah. And eight hours of sleep a night is what you should be getting, right? And so you could go to a GP and a GP should be would tell you if you have a relatively sedentary lifestyle, get, get a 
a, a pedometer, right? Get a, a smartwatch or something. Yeah. Get your ten thousand steps a day. Make sure you're getting eight hours of sleep a day, yeah. and try and get your five a day. I think that that's where tech startups should begin with, right? So it's really taking stock of where you are, yeah. what are the assets do you have, and then starting to get your house in order with the simple stuff. So yeah. catalog what IP assets you have. You know, do an internal yeah. IP audit. What yeah. you have, check the chain of title. So mm-hmm. do you own everything that you think you own? Yeah. Check the contracts that you've got with your employees. Yeah. Does the IP pass from your employees into all yeah. of the assets that you have? Check it with consultants. Right. So I think that's really the place to start. So it's taking stock of where you yeah. are. Yeah. And I think there's an 80-20 to that. So it's great to be exhaustive. But honestly, if you spent an hour in a room with a couple of the key people in your organization and brainstormed into a list, then I think you're already a a long way there. And again, you know, it's perfect as the enemy of good and and all that kind of thing. So I I would really advocate for keep it simple to begin with, but shift that focus towards IP and put some time into trying to take stock of where you are. And I think that 80-20 point is really important, actually, because it wouldn't matter how many hours you spent on this stuff, you'd never get it perfect. Right. What you're trying to do is essentially around the whole thing is manage and mitigate risk. But you're never going to cover everything and you're never going to have everything absolutely perfect and completely shored up. So you but by doing enough, then what you end up with is something that is good enough for you to move forward. And that's something yeah. that sort of I think all uh, entrepreneurs, whether they be tech entrepreneurs or, or otherwise and SMEs would totally get on board with because you've got to kind of get to a point where you can move on and just keep moving forward and it's never going to be be perfect but it's a good point you, you make and I, and I guess as well that the sort of the the bigger businesses have a different outlook on this a couple of things came to mind when you were talking about them in that their goals will be completely different as well right I mean they're filing you know thousands of patents a year right so each one of those is obviously going to have less importance or at least in the mind of of the of the business if there is such a thing than they would than you know one of three patents filed in a in an SME they all take on a a, a greater significance a greater importance because that's all you've got right if you've got thousands a year then each one can be handled maybe with less care and attention and it's not really a big deal i, d- I don't know if that's fair to say but it's certainly you know if a big business lost a patent or didn't quite get the right type of coverage it's not going to be the end of the world for them because they've got ten thousand more right yeah i think that's true i mean i agree with that that when you're operating at that scale it becomes less about the individual assets and it's more about managing a process i think also what tends to happen there is that these sorts of companies are developing products, technologies that will be global in scale and they will be yeah. mass consumed. You know, so if, if you're behind 5G technology, you know, yeah. you know that you're going to be one of a handful of players that are shaping 5G. And so you yeah. you know the the game, right? There's only a few of you in it. You've done this several times before. Yeah. Um and you're sort of deploying huge amounts of resources to push that technology forward. That's yeah. really quite different from being quite a nimble startup that's trying to test yeah. product market fit with minimum viable product minimum viable products and yeah you know, buying in solutions instead of building in order to get to market faster and so it's it is completely different considerations i, I think but you, you're right is that it necessitates for the smaller companies a far more conscious investment strategy so the yeah. the five a day kind of ten thousand steps analogy there's a bunch of stuff you should just be doing right yeah. you should you should just be doing them um, spending that little bit of time, the companies will know off the top of their heads probably already the most important assets. So it's just going through that process of, of getting it documented and, and tidied up. Yeah. But then once you do that and you take stock, um, I advocate actually for a bit of benchmarking. So what are your competitors doing? Um, yeah. Gauging what you think is an appropriate amount of investment uh, in your intellectual property. But then it's really about getting maximum bang for your buck right yeah. are you going to file patents for example 
uh, I don't know what number you think in terms of Steve, but I tend to think it's at least fifty thousand when you're all done for, for filing. Uh, Absolutely. In fact, I use exactly that Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I use. I mean, that sort of is my broad estimate over something like five to seven years if you're filing in three major economies. Right. So those being Europe, the US, and maybe one other might be China, could be anywhere. Then if you've got one patent application that turns out to be sort of multiple patent applications in those countries, then yeah, I say 50 grand. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think I'm going to write a blog post on exactly that actually, because it's something that is sort of, I don't know if all tech startups and SMEs understand that level of commitment and understand not only the level of commitment, but the time frame of it, because if they've got plans to exit, um, or they've got plans to get investment, they need to kind of know what their budgets are going to look like at these different stages along the way and when. And the thing is, you can never be, you know, completely accurate with the cost, mainly, be, I mean, you know, as you know, at Matter, we have fixed costs on patents. So we, we do that so that we can be completely, completely accurate, but you've still got people to use overseas and things like that. But you can be fairly accurate and you sort of, you kind of know when the big things are going to hit uh, and at what times so there's no reason why that information shouldn't be sort of out there a bit more widely um okay i agree it's two and it's two things right i, I used to have a a colleague in one of the places that i worked who would say fifty thousand pounds that's a tesla right so can you can you imagine yeah. a company actually taking the decision to go out buy a tesla for the company and then yeah. going and sticking it in a parking lot locking the key away somewhere and forgetting <laughs> about it and leaving the leaving the Tesla sitting in the parking lot. Um, yeah. And it, it sounds ludicrous, think about most company assets, yet you will see companies invest something like £50,000 in a patent without any real business case for why they've done it. Maybe yeah. not really understanding the total costs because they get quoted upfront costs for filing the patent application. Or, yeah. um, and then in the end, what was the investment for? Uh, and so I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's a real challenge for small businesses. There should be a business case for that level of investment. Absolutely. And and that's where sort of IP management really comes in, because it's all of that work that's required to understand whether or not a patent is a good thing, right? And then it's the ongoing work to make sure that having invested the money, it's still a valuable investment because that 50,000 is spread out over, as you said, like sort of five to seven years. Do we still, do we keep investing in this asset or is it now no longer relevant, no longer useful? So that's that's really the expertise that IP management can provide and that the big technology businesses, as you've said, have in-house capability for, but smaller businesses don't. So I want to I want to pull you back to that actually, um, which is what we started that question with. We kind of wandered around a bit there, but <laughs> I don't mind. Um, which was sort of what should they do? And you said taking stock, and you mentioned a few things there that I think are worth digging into. Because what I'd really like us to do is come up with some, or at least tell the listeners some, you know, some practical stuff that they can actually do. Um, and you know, some of it's going to need expert support you know not all of it though i think there's a surprising amount that you can actually do yourself and and as you said maybe it's not 80 20 maybe it's lower than that but you can certainly do a certain amount of it um yourself always you're going to be better off having an expert help you with it um but yeah let's let's talk about that then you said about take taking stock understanding what you've got um and sort of uh, part of that is understanding what you currently have. Part of it is flushing out other stuff, I I guess. Um, and then also you talked about agreements and other things. And I know that I know that you, like me, sort of ascribe to this idea that you can kind of break IP down into different headings, two of which are sort of protection and and risk management, something that you know I think you originally gave me the idea for that, um, and I talk about a lot on on LinkedIn now. <laughs> um, <laughs> But let's let's start with protection then, um, and what as you were saying, understanding what you've got and getting it protected. What what's a good first step? Um, how do they go about it? it? How much of it can they do themselves? You know, when do they need to pull in some expertise, and when is it when is it really do they get good value out of that paying for that? Yeah. Okay. So I think taking a step back from that, and what I consider the best practice is, I like the mantra 
and I know it's not completely realistic, but I like the mantra of uh, no ad hoc decisions, right? When it comes yeah, to great. IP, yeah, um, you know, it, it it's a pity to have to take isolated in the moment decisions about whether to protect something or not, right? Because yeah. you presumably have a technology roadmap, a product roadmap. Uh, if you're doing research, you know how much you're investing and, and what you're trying to discover. Yeah. And so I, it, it would be a pity that if you're you're just something's popping up and you're deciding not in the context of everything else that you have in your IP assets, not in the context of what you're trying to do in a business, but you just take that decision in isolation in the moment. I think that's how you end up not taking the best decisions. So I advocate first for having an IP team committee, whatever you want to call it. So sure. uh, a group of people who meet regularly um, with a regular agenda and so IP questions get put on a list for, for this team of people to talk about. Um, and then they talk about it within context. So in the context of sure. good business information. So where, where are we at financially? What are, what's our product doing? What are those things doing? And then with um, specifically sort of a, a decision flow or a scorecard around IP. And I think that's okay. a big piece. A few people write on this, Steve. So if you if you Google IP committees or IP teams, um, you'll you'll come up with various people's scorecards. But they're normally yeah. um, along the lines of there are some things that can be kept secret. Um, so if you were to to sell a product, it might include some innovation. And yeah. if in that product there's no way of knowing the innovation behind it, then you have the option to keep it secret. And yeah. keeping secret isn't completely free, right? Because you have to have discipline and controls and procedures to make sure that the secrets yeah. don't leak out. But but otherwise, it can be a really low cost, really effective method of protecting your IP. So I, I tend yeah. to start with that question. I don't conclude that if it can be kept secret, I should keep it secret. But I start with that question. Can it be kept secret? If it can. So this is in then... your process uh, for mm -hmm. sort of assessing almost like the, the value and also what will we do with it in terms of the, yeah. the innovations that we've got. And you spoke about a team yeah. there, and I think I think you sort of covered it. But is is this essentially so? You want a committee within the business, within smaller businesses, that might be sort of like people that um, it's always almost always going to be people that hold other roles. There won't be an an IP specialist there. Um, and we'll talk about the makeup of the team a bit. But is the idea there that they've kind of got they've got a memory of everything that's going on IP wise within the business, and so that's what brings the context to it and means that you're not making isolated decisions and also you talked a bit about process but i think it would be so first first thing is is it context second how do we sort of put that team together who who should be on it and what processes do they do they need not necessarily digging into the actual process itself but what what do they actually need to be looking at and doing on a data well maybe not day-to-day week-to-week basis yeah good question you're right let's 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 break it down um, and as you said, there's, there's risk and protection that we talked about. So let's, yeah. let's talk specifically about protection, at least to begin with. So what I mean here is that you you know that, and it's not just tech companies, right? It's any company with with when they're sure. creating yeah. new products or services. Yeah. Um, that when you're creating something new, you're contemplating whether you can sell it or, or frankly, what to do with it. What I'm advocating for is that there's a committee that decides how to protect those intangible assets, right? So the, okay. what should feed into the committee is information, bottom-up information, really yeah. bottom-up information from the company of what innovation is happening in the company. So what new materials are being created, what new solutions okay. are being provided. Um, I advocate for running some in-house training actually to help people spot yeah. Um, what might be an invention uh, in particular, yes. because you, uh, probably your experience is the same as mine, that skilled um, researchers and engineers tend to downplay the Definitely. extent of their contribution. Definitely. Um, so that they, they especially think after really... they've after they've invented it, right? and it's sort of like, oh, that was really easy. In the end, it was really easy. You always yeah. hear, hear said, but actually, you know, six months ago, you told me that was a major headache, and now exactly. you've solved it. You think it's easy, but that's just hindsight, and we've got to try exactly. and pull all those things out. Yeah. So I think I will sort of maybe after we've done this this bit about the team and and the, and the committee, I might press you on that. What's the best way to flush out these? But we'll stick mm. with the, the team and the committee now. So feeding into the team. 
Uh, into the IP committee, we've got uh, information on what innovations are coming out of the business. So however we yes. manage to flush those out, they come into the yeah. committee. Yeah. W- what else? So that's the, for me, that's the core. Thing, yeah. Right. So that, that's, yeah. let's say there's subject matter of the, of the committee. So there's, there's other information that's needed for context, but that's the stuff that's being decided on. Right. That's, that's the subject okay. matter. Um, and then it's about who are the right people to put uh, together to, to review that information and what decisions are they trying to take? Right? I yeah. guess that's really what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, again, what you're trying to avoid is that this stuff comes up and people are either taking decisions ad hoc, even if there's a group of them doing it, yeah. um, or they're just chatting for a while and then they don't come yeah, to clearly action yeah. Right? Yeah. because they don't know what options are open to them. Um, so the next thing that I, that I advocate for is, um, you know, basically something like a, a scorecard. Yeah. So you you assess um, these inputs against a scorecard to give them a ranking relative to the other things in your business. Yeah. And then also define set of outcomes based on the scorecard and any other information that people might bring in. So right. okay. file a patent application might be one. Um, publish it, you know, let people know about it. It, there's some yeah. advantage in first mover advantage or being a thought leader or so publishing yeah. is another option keep it secret yeah. is another option mm-hmm. so there's there's various outputs that you can have uh, and so that's what the what the committee is then trying to do is it's taking these inputs it's applying a scorecard in order to decide which of a set of outcomes they're going to choose then they can take that decision and move on and for me that's yeah. key, that's the key to um well-managed ip you understand where your company is going and you understand your technology roadmap and you understand the possible ways of protecting your IP. You've got the right people, they're armed with the right information and then yeah. they select from the options and move on, you know. Yeah, and, I, and I've sort of spoken and written before about what things should be on that scorecard and you can sort of finesse this. There's, you know, different levels of sort of sophistication you can build in, but in a broad sense, I always think it's um, it's a, how commercially valuable is it, how inventive is it, and how easily can it be reverse engineered? These are sort of, if I think about that, they kind of cover just about everything. There's a lot in how commercially valuable is it. I mean, how do you get yeah. to that? Um, but the way I sort of think about that is kind of, is it is it already generate? Is this product already generating revenue, or is it a strategically important direction for the business um can you license it and then the next question is can you really license it because everybody thinks they can license uh, technology but it's one thing to think that the license the, the technology is licensable but then it's kind of like well who who are you going to license it to uh, do you know anybody in that company do you have links with them have you ever spoken to them about this type of thing before what's your strategy for approaching them and actually getting to a license because as you said often the commercial case for a patent can be uh, well we think we can license it and then you don't license it and so you just wasted 50 grand because the commercial case was was bogus yeah. right so yeah. Tesla's still in the car park gathering dust yeah <laughs> that's it exactly <laughs> so it's kind of like what what questions would you put on a scorecard um, and what type of things would you expect and I think this is it strikes me that this is somewhere we're getting some input would benefit businesses because they're essentially building a template that they can then sort of take away and use. And it makes sense to me to make sure the template is as right as it can be before you then go and sort of continue to use it. Yeah, so there's a couple that I like, um, which probably fit within a commercial value of what you just said. Yeah. Um, but it's, and I, but I always include these. So the first is how easy is it to design around yeah this thing that you've invented this might be a bit niche to um patents and and yeah i'll just call that out i mean that this this might not make sense in every context yeah but but particularly in the software world yeah you solved a problem in a way and it's a neat way and it's an elegant way but i i put a score around how painful would it be for someone to do it a different way yeah so you get you get a really high score if your competitors really wouldn't want to do it any other way. They'd want to do it the way that you're doing it. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. You get a low score if 
actually that was one way of doing it, but there are equally elegant ways and it wouldn't take an engineer very long to think about a different one. So I like that um, as a score. And there's, the other one is uh, how easy would it be to detect whether somebody is using this yeah. invention yeah. Crucial. in a competing product. Yeah. Um, and that one, again, so MySpace is uh, and has always been computer-implemented technologies, uh, yeah. audio, video, coding, blockchain, or those kind of things. But the, always the same issue is you know, famous patents like Amazon one-click and Apple slide to unlock. Those yeah. are at the user experience face of the product. You can right? see and them, in, right? Anybody can see them. Right? Absolutely yeah. anybody <laughs> can see them as soon as you're using the product. Um, but, you know, if a new phone comes on the market, what audio codec is it using? Yeah. Right? I mean, there are ways of telling in that particular that specific instance, but that kind of thing, like the, you need someone to reverse engineer a product to have any idea yeah. of whether they're infringing or not. And reverse engineering is is really time consuming and expensive. Yeah. So you might well have patents that are for amazing inventions, but if people are using your invention, unless they put it in their sales literature, unless they're talking about they're using, you just never know whether one's infringing or IP. So again, yeah. how do you use your patent in that in that context? Um, so I put that one alongside the inventiveness uh, you called it, which is that's normally I feel like a gut feel from it is um, yeah. Uh, an engineer or, or a specialist in the field who, who knows the field well and knows roughly how much of a contribution that they that they feel it is. Um, I do normally include, uh, actually I'm segueing in, but I think it works into the, the composition of the, um, of the team. So yeah. I normally would advocate for a technical expert who can make that call on Definitely. a novel is this. I advocate for a patent legal expert who can give you a view on what that would look like in a patent claim. So how how well would a patent protect that? So you can make that call about is it easy to design around or not? Um, and then I advocate for uh, someone with an outside-in perspective or a market perspective. So someone from sales, someone from marketing who's got the yeah. almost the voice of customer. Yeah. And so your, your tech person is going to come bottom up and say, often be very proud of what's been contributed and think it's going to change yeah. the world. And so having someone in the company says, well, I'm the one talking to customers and I'm not Nobody's sure that's asking about this. that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you would hope that the R&D was being driven in some part, at least some part of the R&D was being driven by that customer yes. need. So yeah. what's coming out of it should be. But but yeah, your, your, your point is a good one. And the mixture and the composition of the, the committee, I guess it, it would need somebody who understands what the business direction the strategic i mean in most small to medium-sized tech business which are the, you know, the people that we're talking to here you're probably looking at i mean you probably want it depends how big i mean small to medium covers quite a range you could be looking at cto ceo and if you're going to get an outside patent expert in it's going to be your patent attorney you're going to ask them to sit in um on these meetings which yeah. you know hopefully you know if they're going to get the patent work out of it they'd be very uh, happy to do um and then someone from sales or at least like you say that's got the customer viewpoint um or as close as you can get to it um in in the room as well and then they're going to go through this sort of list of questions that we've covered in a general sense but will be different for each business i think that's okay just to cover that as a general sense what you want to do is just because just asking questions under the headings that we've already talked about will make such a useful discussion that at the end of it, everybody will come consensus anyway of either this yeah. is important or this is not important. And that's really what you're trying to, to get to, as well as, and the patent attorney or IP expert ought to be contribution as well as around sort of what should you do with it based on those things that you're talking about. Is it sort of reverse engineerable? Would people know if they bought your product, would they know what you'd done? Uh, in which case... If, they, if the answer to that is no, then you might not want to tell them by publishing it in a patent document. And would you be able to, to discover infringement and things like that? So then you've kind of got a nice sort of methodology for as inventions and innovations come into the committee, they know what questions to ask about it. Crucially, they ask the same questions each time and that prevents yep. the ad hoc thing that you're yep. talking about, which is just redesigning it every single time. Um, and then they've got 
a mechanism by which the answers to those questions sort of will funnel them down a particular path. Again, that's the bit I think where some IP IP expertise is required because you don't know what you don't know, right? Um, so you've got the, the answers to these questions and without understanding the significance of those answers, you wouldn't really know necessarily which, which path to go down. And that, as you've said, can be trade secret, patent, trademark, design, all of the above, um, or, you know, publishing it, just keeping it sort of not top secret, but just we're not going to tell anyone. So it's kind of confidential information or, uh, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that I, like you think that's a really, really powerful step for a business to have in place. And other than resource, taking a, a bit of resource, there's nothing, there's no cost in that, is there really? Other than, uh, you know, maybe getting some help to begin with. Yeah, no, you're right. You're dead right. It's uh, so we, we, we're both uh, under the assumption. I think it's true that you're, you will be able to find a patent expert to sit in on those meetings if they're not yeah. weekly, but if they're quarterly or so. Yeah. Um, for free if they get the work that comes out of it. Uh, and so then, yes, the, the actual, all of these meetings, um, no, they, they don't really cost anything other than, other than that time and i think the so judging the new inputs that come in is a part of what that committee should do and then a periodic review and re-evaluation of what you found previously is a second part Absolutely. of what you get meetings um, and that part is the one that makes means that these meetings pay for themselves very very quickly pay for themselves very very quickly because yeah because you're you know, sort of ending cost streams i guess that are no longer relevant yeah. Yeah, because yes. we've all seen it, right? They file a patent um, on a particular day. The business kind of wanders off in a different direction because, you know, startups, SMEs, they're always doing that kind of, you know, adapting and changing that nimbleness that you mentioned. Um, and then you've got this patent that's sort of fixed in terms of what it's about. And the business is nimble and dynamic and moving all over the place. And it doesn't take much for the separation between where the business is at and where that patent, where the business was at when it filed that patent, to be quite, quite different, and yet so many times you see businesses carry on paying because it's a drip, drip, drip of cost. Yeah. It's just sort of like, well, we need to pay another X thousand or whatever. So they do, and it's so easy. It's, and I, I, there is no, I completely sympathise with anybody who'd be in yeah. this situation, right? Because it's exactly what you said. You, you're researching a new product, or you're thinking about going into a market. You file a few patent applications. It's two and a half years later, yeah. Um, yeah. and maybe not even the same people from the project are around. Mm-hmm. Yet you instructed your patent attorney that this product should go and be patented in Brazil because you thought it would be a market, and yeah. you don't realise that you've just paid to translate your whole patent application into Portuguese and the fees <laughs> there, and you know that's however many thousands, and you don't even know why you spent it anymore. But trying yeah. to find the right person who even remembers why the thing was filed in the first place. It's just a problem. And without these regular structured meetings with the context of the business information, um, you know, that, that's the kind of trap that you can fall yeah. into. So you know, I, 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 I really think they pay for themselves, these these uh, meetings. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And you also learn a lot about your business and you're, in, you're adding value to the business simply by gathering together all of the innovations that you're coming up with and assessing them. It kind of helps. It, it's almost like a feedback loop, I think, and it helps actually guide where the business is going as well. You just learn a huge amount. And as these business, as sort of you go from startup through small to medium sized and beyond, the separation of the leadership team from what's happening on the ground can get greater and greater. And that's kind of like something that maybe you weren't expecting to happen. As a CEO, you always felt like you'd be really in touch with all of that but you quickly get dragged on onto other things and and this is like a pause it's a moment to get an understanding of what actually is happening you find out what r&d everybody's working on so you can see all of these aspects of the business that you don't necessarily necessarily see every day yeah i think it's yeah uh, i mean i cringe to say the term cross-pollination because it, <laughs> <but> it, <laughs> it, it is you know there's, there's reasons people bandy that that term around but you, yeah. finance for example I, you know i often like finance coming to these meetings because they know the business really well right they're seeing yeah they're seeing the yeah. sales revenue come in they're seeing the invoices they, they know your business really well and this can be really really useful context for your finance people so they come in sure and, 
they, they yeah. understand the project's coming and they're, they're hearing a certain context. Yeah. It's, it, I've actually seen it deployed really well as a way of bringing departments together to understand where the company's going. Yeah. Um, we've got about probably, we're sort of looking at about another 10 minutes. Um, and I was originally thinking that we could probably go back and think about, well, how do you flush out all these inventions? Because my experience is that, you know, inventors, researchers, you know, engineers don't usually cough this stuff up themselves it's a it's a process to actually have to go in and, and lift it out of their heads and and uh, and put it down on paper where it can be be used but actually i think it would be better uh, maybe for the listeners to understand what you meant about the risk angle um you mentioned mm-hmm. agreements um and sorting all of that out making sure that you own you do actually own what you think you own these types of things what are some uh sort of first steps that that businesses can take in that area all right so i'm going to be um predictable and say i'm still talking about a team i'm still talking about regular meetings um but now it's a, yeah. it's a different agenda and it's a different sort of set of materials to run through so is this a different but, team a different committee is this like a, so is one of them sort of an ip protection and other ones like a risk committee are they going to be the same people you know that's the question isn't it and i think that's really going to depend on your size of your organization in a small organization i think it can very easily be the same set of people in a larger organization i think the difference is um the innovation will be quite heavily coming from more like the research part of the organization yeah and the risk will be coming far more from the commercial part of the organization yeah sure and so in that case the representation on the teams might be weighted more towards those two things but in a smaller company i think it can be the same people I think it's important to separate the agenda. I think it's a pity to be considering innovation and risk in the same meeting at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I it's agree. a bit like brainstorming, right? The whole point of brainstorming is you don't judge the ideas while you're throwing them out and putting them on paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You come back later <laughs> and filter. But yeah. if you were actually sitting in a, a really judgy room where every time you said something a bit silly, you got cross looks, then it wouldn't be a very good brainstorming. It wouldn't be a very good brainstorming, yeah. yeah. I think it's um, I think it's the same with that. So I would I would separate risk out. So it's a team that meets periodically. You know why not quarterly, depending on again the the needs of the company. And for me, this one's built around. It's like a project management concept of a risk register. Yeah. So um, you know, number, name, short description, uh, probability, impact, and mitigation steps. Okay. So that that's the table that you're trying to fill in and maintain and it's similar so the, the inputs to this meeting um will come from first a proactive exercise that an ip person would do okay. so you know use of what would i do if i landed uh, straight in a company i'm going to want to look at all of the contracts i'm going to ask you about absolutely what your license agreements are i'm going to look through my list of ip and consider the artifacts and i'm going to make sure that the chain of title is there yeah. Um, if we're using stock imagery, have we got proper license? So I'm going to go through and do those kind of things. And questions from that then go, go to, to the right. risk committee. Okay. Um, so open source software is a really good one. You know, yeah. are yeah. we are we using open source software in our solution? Um, do we properly understand the license obligations that we've got from that open source software? Are we passing those along and how are we tracking and maintaining? And so that those can go up. You know, the following products use open source software. They yeah. are under the certain um, open source license, which is not the most permissive, you know, so it requires an attribution or it requires it's yeah. not allowed for commercial use. And so how are we flowing that through into our products? Probability that it occurs, impact if it occurs, and what's the mitigation? Okay, well, we have a, a register okay. of all the open source um modules that we use and the licenses that they have and we run training sessions yep. to make sure that they're blah 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 and so it's that and that's far i think that's slightly more free flowing than the protection committee because that that's really about justifying spend and it's reacting to assets that are being created in the business whereas the risk mitigation work um is a little bit more open-ended i think so it's yeah. a bit more skill and judgment getting the right people in the room um, and letting those things crop up. It will also, for me, be the committee that deals with um, contractual stuff. You know, our key inventor 
um, just left the business and yeah. you know there's a chance that some of our IP walks with him or her so what yeah. are we going to do about that so there's some serious reactionary kind of things that you need to do in response to you know, a competitor is claiming that we're using their IP or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so that's, okay. um, but, but for me again it, it's doing it regularly having the right people there and really categorizing the risk according to probability impact mitigation so much like before then if when we were talking about protection there's a two-stage process there the first is flush out all your innovation the second is get the committee set up with a process to follow that can assess each of those innovations and come up with a decision there's a similar thing here which it sounds to me anyway which is quite neat when it works as it turns out which is you first of all want to flush out all of the ip risks and there's some IP specialist work to do there. There's, you need someone yes. to go over your agreements, maybe do some external risk analysis as well, looking at sort of freedom to operate, things like that, flushing out risks around IP. And then when you do flush what, them out, they go up onto a risk register. And again, there's a process where a number of questions are asked. And But this time, it's not like there's a final decision. It's kind of sort of, these things remain a risk. We've sort of done what we can to mitigate them. Sometimes you can close them off, I guess. Um, but most often, I guess it's going to be sort of like, this is a risk. This is the the impact of it. This is what we've done to mitigate it. And then it's kind of like, there's no, nothing more we can do, but just keep it. Can we monitor. Yeah. Keep a watch on it. Yeah. 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 I like that you, so I hadn't mentioned that, and I'm glad that you did. So the almost the distinction between internal and external so yeah, what are the risks yeah. of, of what you're doing within the company and then what are the risks from from outside right what are my competitors doing and again that needs to be proactive right that's not i mean you you might get a letter um through the post that says uh, you need to stop because you're infringing rip but for the most part i yeah. would really say this is something that you should be doing systematically and and proactively so it, it should go um hand in glove with the patenting side for me it comes later uh, while i'm contemplating whether to file a patent application is not the same time where i'm looking at whether that would be an infringement because i think innovation precedes product and you need a certain amount of product yeah. detail before you can determine whether the product is um, likely to infringe any third party patents um, but that is absolutely something that should be done in lockstep with your product innovation it's yeah. skilled work you yeah. can't do that one yourself those are the two no, i would say exactly. you can't write your own patent applications it's not worth it don't do Definitely it don't um, do that. <laughs> yeah. and and you can't um you can't do your own um landscaping i'm not comfortable doing landscaping and uh you know yeah. i'm a patent attorney with 15 years in in the business and I, I would still have an expert do that because it's really understanding the data sets and how they're classified and what terms are used in what way so there's there's really skill in in finding that out i tend not to say uh freedom to operate uh, from a managing expectations i don't yeah. think green lights yeah yeah happen anymore i don't think anyone can ever tell no. you yes go ahead you have freedom to operate i think it's just a that looks low risk or it's an amount of risk that you're comfortable with but um, in the modern world and the rate at which patent applications are being filed, it's yeah. it's, a, it's a matter of degree uh, and working out what your competitors are doing. I tend to look at things like in this space, is there much litigation? Right? Because your risk shoots up if you're in a space where you know there are yeah. patent holders with strong portfolios that are enforcing their patents against yeah. sort of some, that that puts you instantly in a in a whole other sort of level compared with spaces that have less litigation in them um, yeah. so that's kind of one classifier then, it, then it's really just looking at your competitors and seeing what's out there but it's um it's again it's skilled work i tend to think it's one of those pieces of work that can completely kill a budget so you have to be very careful with yeah. scoping it, it, um, it exactly yeah i've said this a few times particularly on that sort of uh, I don't want to use the term now because you told me I can't, but for him to operate. Um... <laughs> risk, risk assessment is what I say. Risk assessment. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. So especially on that so external risk assessment. Um, so yeah. it's kind of like other people's IP and, and whether or not you might or might not be infringing it, I guess. But on, on that side of things, in particular, if you, many firms, if you go to them and you say, I want some of that work 
done then they'll say yeah okay they've got one product for that and it's 15 grand and or more um and and that's it you know that's what and you'll get a nice big thick report that goes on a shelf and and nobody ever reads right um and that might be useful at some stages you know if you want it to go into your data room for due diligence and and things like that then that's it's useful for that but as an operational something to sort of actually make decisions based on it I, i think it's kind of of less use uh, or a lot of or certainly a lot of it is superfluous um, and as you say i tend to think it should be in lockstep with your development process and i think you can yeah. start high level right you start let's just have a, a just just have a general look first what's what does this look like what as you say i hadn't thought of that before but how litigious is the space if this is a dangerous area with loads of good ip that where everybody's suing the pants off each other then do we really want to make that a strategic sort of direction for the business um yeah. you know these are high level decisions and then as you go further down the development process you can converge more on something that looks like a standard sort of um in infringement or freedom to operate whatever and i think most people will have come across the term freedom to operate and so they will understand it that's how patent attorneys would would refer to it yeah um, slightly tongue in cheek when i'm poking when the name fto but it's yeah, it is. It is the term that everybody uses. I think you make a good point. I think you make a good point. And there's a lot of sort of. It's also a jargon term for a lot of um, businesses. They're kind of like I, I find myself saying it and then having to explain it, which tells me I should really just stop saying it and just yeah. say the explanation instead, <laughs> because yeah. you know, what, gauging why the risk of infringing third-party patents. Yeah, yeah, that, that's um, it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but it's on on the on the scope of it again. Back to my five five a day thing. There's yeah. probably a certain amount that you should do every time, right? Yeah. So you should always have a quick look at what competitors are in the space and are the litigious and what size patent portfolios do they have. That sort of assessment is like a few hundred pounds, right? Yeah. There will be service providers who do that level for you for a few hundred pounds. Something like that might be something that you would do every time. After that, um, and I, I know this sounds slightly iterative, but I think the amount that you spend on mitigating the risk shouldn't exceed the amount of the risk so the probability of the impact yeah yeah you know? yeah okay why would you spend fifty thousand on one of these pieces of research if your liability was twenty five thousand or yeah. fifty thousand you know i can just take the risk yeah so there's yeah. um it's really proportional and you know right i mean if you're about to go to market with a product that retails at a thousand pound a unit and you're expecting massive sales then you know that if you're trading on someone's ip that the bill is going to be huge yeah. And so, um, you know, spending some real money to try and mitigate that by changing the design if you're trading on people's IP is worthwhile. But if it's a smaller offering, if it's a, if it's a nice to have, it's a, if it's a, yeah. an offering that you would drop um, if you were to meet any resistance, then judging the scope of that work accordingly, I think, is is important. So I really, again, I really advocate for a proportional approach to risk assessment because if you become and lawyers have that reputation but if you become too risk averse it's very easy to chew through a huge legal budget yeah um, yeah to, and know. and there are no final answers as you've already said on, on this anyway okay. so you're, you're never going to reach a point where you've removed the risk and it's interesting you say about sort of quantifying it externally i've always looked at it and it's a good point you make because i've always in the past looked at it as sort of like an, an the risk not just of the it, I've looked at it more, I would say, as, as an internal thing, right? So you're committing resource to this thing. There's a cost to that. You're going down a track. The further the development goes, the closer you get to product launch, or even if it's a new feature in, in an existing product or whatever, the closer you get to launch, the more you've invested in terms of time, resource, money, and the harder it is. Maybe you've made some sales already on, off the back of this. You've entered into agreements that to wind back out of those, if you ever had to, becomes a really, really costly exercise. But I hadn't before sort of thought about the quantifying what the the external risk might be if you were actually sued for infringement. So, yeah, that's another thing to put in, put in the mix. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in the, big co- in the big company context, you know the difference between your absolute banner products that yeah. you're almost betting the farm on because you think they're going to be your versus the other ones that you've got in your catalogue that have some sales in some markets, but they're relatively small and they're not yeah. hugely contributing to your top line. I think that will translate to an extent into smaller companies as well, right? That this is a, yeah. it's an interesting feature. We're glad to include it in the product, but if it were problematic, we would 
drop it and we don't think it would hurt our market share too much or our sales yeah. too much. Yeah. Um, listen, we should probably um, wind it up because it sounds like we could go on talking about this all day. And that, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, big, people might not want to listen to us for that length of time. But um, but summarising, just before we do, I kind of feel like what we've got here is, so if you're a tech SME and you're looking at this for the first time, then the two areas you need to look at are protection and risk. And we're really about doing some triage, I guess, in the on the protection side and and we haven't d- talked on it. Maybe it's something you can come back on uh, the show and talk about again. But it's sort of that idea of flushing out these innovations from the uh, the R and D team. Yeah. But once you've got them, get them into a committee. Have some process that they can follow that is the same each time, and therefore leads to a consistent set of results. And not only are they looking at new innovations, but they're also regularly reviewing the old decisions that they've made and seeing whether they're still relevant in terms of committing cost. Um, and then on the risk side, again, we're looking at a committee and it's about sort of getting somebody in to help you flush out the risks, identify those, put them in some kind of log that again can be reviewed, questions asked, mitigation applied, and then you kind of feel like you're doing everything you can within the business to make sure that you've at least protecting what you need to protect and managing the risks that you need to manage. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for me, in the end, a patent adds value either by contributing to revenue or through reducing costs, for yeah. example, if it's tax advantages, or if it um, contributes to your enterprise value and you're looking for an exit. Yeah. And again, I don't think you can make those determinations ad hoc. I think the only way that you can work out whether IP is contributing to one of those three things is... is relatively systematically through exactly yeah exactly the things that you consistent said. process yeah okay well that's great um thank you for your time will um and if Goodbye. people want to sort of if, if people want to kind of reach out to you is linkedin the best place to grab you is there any other way that it 100 is yeah reach out linkedin absolutely that's my preference great stuff okay and so to the listeners thanks for listening um i'll see you uh well you can listen to us again uh, at the next episode. Okay, thanks very much. Cheers, Steve.